0: Our scripture today is from Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. 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 Do you think that Jesus was the kind of guy who loved his mama? I sure do. I like to think that Jesus loved his mother very much because I love my mother very much with my whole heart actually. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my mother loves me with her whole heart. I am incredibly, incredibly fortunate in that way. You all have not really gotten a chance to know my mother because Wichita and Papillion are kind of far apart and, you know, pandemic that happened. Uh, But if you knew her, she's here today, actually. See if you can find her in the sanctuary. She smiles just like me. That'll be your clue. Anyway, If you knew her, you would love her. That's how it goes with my mother. My entire life, whenever we have been out shopping together, I have had to put up with people stopping us in the middle of the grocery store or Target, so excited to see her. With my mother, it's never just a wave and hello. No, no, it's a 10-minute conversation, (laughs) catching up on all the things. And then as we would leave, I asked my mother, who is that? And she said well i had their children in preschool i don't remember their names right now (laughs) my father also a tremendous human easy to love but this is mother's day so we're talking about mothers okay anyway i know that my story with my mother is not everyone's story i have been a pastor long enough to know that mother child relationships exist on a spectrum from amazing to decent, to mediocre, to confusing, to abusive, to non-existent, and like 200 different stops along the way. There just, there's no standard story of mothers and children. Lots of greeting cards are going to get sent today, lots of happy Facebook posts are going to get made that, that make everything look like it's in perfect order, but mother and child relationships can evolve in a thousand different ways. Father-child relationships too, of course, but again, Mother's Day, so we're talking about mothers. they just, there is not one, one-size-fits-all story for mothers and children, which is why our scripture today is either the best scripture for Mother's Day or the weirdest. I've written a whole sermon about it and I can't decide. Because you would think, we would like to think that Jesus was the kind of guy who really loved his mother. Would do anything for her. Would run to her at the drop of a hat. I mean, honor your father and mother. One of the Ten Commandments, for goodness sakes. Jesus, he had to live that out to the highest degree, right? And then we get this story from the Gospel of Mark, also in Matthew and Luke, where Jesus actually seems to dismiss his mother. Leaves her standing outside. Refuses to go to her. Says he's got mother and brother and sister plenty right in front of him. I mean, ouch, Jesus. Why in the world would he say such a thing? We have to read a little earlier in the chapter to get a full sense of the scene. In verse 20 of chapter three, we read, "'Then Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul, by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. See, by the time we get to chapter 3 in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been out teaching and healing in towns across Galilee, and he has created quite a buzz. He's gained so much popularity that crowds are flocking to him, following him wherever he goes, and then he comes home and a crowd gathers around him again. We, we can imagine him walking into town with an entourage of disciples, with a trail of people walking after him, with people coming out of their houses to see the commotion, with people leaving work or leaving their washing or postponing their trips to the market to hurry over to where Jesus is staying so they can see him and hear him and maybe be helped by him. See, Jesus is a spectacle at this point and it makes his family worry about him, really worry about him. They, they just don't get it. They don't understand what he's doing, how he could be making people well in these miraculous ways, how he could be curing their hurts and, and healing their diseases. They, they don't understand how he could teach with such power and such wisdom that people would leave their occupations and their houses and their families to follow him. They want to stop this frenzy around Jesus. He's been doing such wonders that it is scandalous. This this isn't the picture that we hold in our heads of Jesus. We we picture him as mild-mannered, as gentle. Even that picture up there, he looks so kind and and calm. But, But this scripture leads us to believe that there was a frenzy around him, that there was chaos. And the family sees it and they don't seem to understand. They're worried that he's lost touch with reality. They're worried that he's swept up into something unhealthy. They're worried that he's out of his mind and they want to rescue him. They want to bring him home. Well, actually, did you notice the scripture says they want to restrain him? Like, they want to shackle him and force him back into private life and stop his talk about the coming kingdom of God. His family, it seems, is not on board with his ministry. His family is not on board with him. The scribes, those religious leaders, they think he has a demon inside of him, and and Jesus refutes that with logic. But to his family, he just refuses them. The scripture says they're standing outside which means they're not a part of the crowd that's flocked inside to see Jesus. I I imagine them kind of milling around there at the edge of the gathered people, pacing back and forth, grumbling, arms crossed, telling people to go tell other people to tell Jesus to get himself out there. I mean, his mother is standing there, for goodness sake. Go get him. And when they tell him his mother's there, when they tell him his brothers are there, he doesn't budge. He doesn't make any move to go see them. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Ah. And then he looks at those around him and he says, here, here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Whoever does the will of God is my sister and my mother and my brother. This is a story about family conflict. If you've ever had family conflict, If you've ever felt at odds with a member of your family, or worse yet, if you've ever felt completely misunderstood or judged by someone that you were close to, take heart. Jesus has been there. Jesus has felt that pain, and he understands it as his own. And his response is to not let his family's pressure derail him. He knew who he was, what he was about, and he was not going to let other people stop him from the work that he was sent to do, not the people in charge, not the wealthy and the educated, and not even the people that had raised him. This is a story of family conflict, but it's not simply a negative story, because instead of simply dismissing his family, Jesus actually redefines it. He redefines his family for himself, and for all his disciples, and so for us. Jesus points out that, that who we call family, who we trust with our lives, to whom we're most loyal and most loving, it, it doesn't have to be just the people with whom we share DNA or the people who raised us. Family, because we are children of God, family can have this much wider and much deeper meaning than that. Jesus is inviting us to consider as our family the people who with us seek the will of God in the world. Jesus invites us to call as family the people seeking the same kind of holy life that we are, you know, all those people alongside whom we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that prayer that we pray to our Father, Jesus says when we pray that prayer together, it makes us family. Now, this is a big deal for us, but it was an even bigger deal in ancient Israel. Jesus is turning the traditional world of relationships upside down. He's redefining family for himself, for his disciples, those guys that left everything to follow him. He's redefining it for the first Christians that often had conflict in their families as they joined the church, and he is redefining family for us. Now, blessed are we if the people in our biological family are also the people who fit inside this definition of, of family that Jesus gives us. Blessed are we if we get to worship with our parents and our children and our grandchildren and our extended family. If we have family who seek after the will of God like we do, family who trust the Bible to be their guide, family who join us in praying for the world, family who know and trust the saving love of God, that, that is fantastic. And it helps our discipleship to be able to share it with those in our household and the people around our Thanksgiving table and the people with whom we take vacation. But you know, you know not every family can say that. So thankfully God has given us a second family with whom we can share all those things. Jesus has expanded this definition of family so that we can also consider the people here, the people at St. Paul's, the people in our congregation as our family because together we're seeking the will of God. Together we're growing in faith. Together we're weathering the storms of life. Now just like in any family relationship, uh, the relationships that we have here in the church, they can vary greatly. I know that there are a lot of people here that probably for you are at the level of like a, a distant cousin, right? Like, you know they're a part of the family, but maybe you get a little confused about their kids' names sometimes, and you have a conversation with them maybe once or twice a year, and okay, that's okay. In a congregation as big as ours, there's gonna be some people like that. But sometimes, at church, there comes a chance to grow bonds like family that are are much more important than that and more life-shaping. I think about, in the first church I served, there was this little sitting area near to the front doors of the building, and it had a few sofas and a few chairs, and most importantly, it was the place where the coffee could be found on Sunday morning, right? So that was a central spot. And there was this dedicated group of people who always showed up about 30 minutes before worship to stand or sit and chit-chat in that coffee-drinking area before worship. And every single week, When kids from several different families would arrive for worship, the children would come through the front doors and run directly to that sitting area because they knew there they would find their church grandparents. And they would give them giant hugs. And these kids and the the 70-year-olds, they were not related in any way. They had no direct or indirect family ties, but they had relationships. They had mutual love. And the church grandparents supported the kids. They talked to them about their weeks. They cheered them on in their activities. They cared about their stories. They were always happy to see them and spend time with them. And the the kids adored their church grandparents, and coming to church was just not complete if they didn't get to spend some time together. Or I think about this beautiful relationship I got to witness at the church I served in Wichita. Lauren had lost his wife years before I became his pastor, and he lived alone and got regular, those short, visits from his daughter, who was a pilot, and she traveled the world in small, private airplanes. One day, we got the horrible news that Lauren's daughter's plane had disappeared off the coast of West Africa. The wreckage was never found. She was just gone. And so, in his late 80s, Lauren was alone. Except, he wasn't, because there was Ginger. Ginger was in her 50s, retired early from teaching, and she decided to adopt Lauren. I don't know if she ever told him that directly, but it's what she did. The only reason they knew each other was from sitting near to each other in the sanctuary for a couple decades. Ginger started visiting Lauren regularly. She checked in on him. She ran errands for him. She made sure he was eating well. When Lauren decided she, he needed to move out of his home, Ginger helped him pack, crawled up into his attic and got all the stuff down, helped him get rid of what he didn't needed, helped him move, helped him sell his house, and then she visited him regularly at his care facility. Ginger became another daughter to Lauren, and she was his family until the day he died. Now, there are plenty of other stories like that in churches I've known and in this church right here, ways that strangers over time become family to one another simply because we have worshiped God together, because we've tried to follow Jesus together, because we have shared love, love with one another as children of God. Now, do we sometimes get it wrong inside this church family? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, this family, like every family, makes mistakes, it has conflict, it has broken relationships, but the fact that we don't live this family love out perfectly, it doesn't change the fact that we are together God's family, and we have the chance every week to act as family to one another. We're invited to give care and love to one another, to trust one another, to rely on one another in deep and meaningful ways because we share the love of Jesus. Now, can this be hard? holy mackerel, it can be so hard. But it can also be holy. It can be so, so holy. Today is a day for us to remember family, to give thanks for mothers and grandmothers and aunts and cousins and and sometimes uncles and grandpas, anybody who has been mothering toward us, nurturing, caring, supportive. And we give thanks to God today for the family in which we have found strength. But let let us also not forget the strength that we have as a church family and the love that we can find here. Let us not forget the opportunity we have to welcome one another here like a family welcomes its members home. Let us not forget to share the love of God with whoever wants to follow after God's, God's heart. Let us not forget to celebrate the joy that we find here as brothers and sisters, as children of God, as a family.